I don't know how you quite follow that, uh, but happy Mother's Day, moms. We are grateful for you and all of the unseen and unnoticed and unappreciated uh, things that you do in our lives and the ways that you make a difference in our lives. We're, we're so grateful, not just for the mothers, but for the women who impact our lives. And uh, we are, uh, I'm especially grateful for the, the mother of my children who partners with me in life and in ministry and all that we do. And I could not be more grateful. I'm grateful for my mom who um, decided that Mother's Day means skipping church today and is at home, which I'm glad she's spending the day with her mom. So uh, it, is, uh, it is always an interesting thing for me to preach on holidays, but especially Mother's Day. I feel like there should be someone else that has something to say to mothers than me, but um, I'm going to give it a shot, and we're going to think a little bit about some things that I think are helpful for moms, but for all of us as well. There is this reality as we think about our moms, and we think about the women in our lives who, who put themselves last, who, um, who share everything they have, that give of themselves even more than they probably could or should at times, who invest and believe in us when we don't believe in ourselves who stand beside us even when we're wrong, who uh, hope more for us than we ever hope for ourselves. And yet at the same time, we, when we think about moms, I think that um, it, it's interesting to me how sermons in Mother's Day and Father's Day differ. Right? Mother's Day tends to be, hey, be thankful for your mom. We love you. You're awesome. Dad's just like, hey, dads, here's all the ways you should be better. Like that's the way it goes. And uh, so I thought I would flop that around this year. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, but, I, but I think that there is something common among many mothers. They do often feel the weight of the love they have for children, their children. And also what it is to serve children who don't know how to be thankful who haven't learned how to appreciate or express that, who don't even notice. There's, a, there's an author, Horst Scholze, he was the founder of the, the, is now the founder of the Capella Hotel Group and was formerly the founder of the, well, still is, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. And they did, they spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to research what it is we want to feel at a hotel. And when we go into a hotel, what we want to feel is not like we're at home. We want to feel like we're at mama's house because at mama's house, food is ready when you didn't have to do anything to get it ready. Food, the, when you need something, it's there. Somebody's always asking, what do you need? Your needs come first. When you need socks, all you do is go to the dryer and they're already done before you even realize you needed them, right? We want to feel like mom's house. But it's, it's in that world that I think that so many moms feel incapable. They feel not up to the task. They feel not enough. They feel the pressure of who they think they ought to be and spend so much time comparing. Not even to who uh, other moms, but just comparing to who they feel they ought to be. We feel unseen, we feel unappreciated, we feel unnoticed, often feel cast aside as your kids become teenagers, and suddenly the, not everything is about being with mom, or what I can do with mom, it's about everything else. You're like, where's mom? 
As long as he's there when I need something, then I'm good. And we forget. But the truth is, we can all feel that at times. Feel not enough. Feel cast aside. Feel forgotten. Feel unnoticed. And there's a mother in Scripture that feels this way. There's a, there's a mother in Scripture who, who understands all of that. What it is to feel like we have been used to feel like people only call or show up when they need something from us what it feels like to be disposable especially to the people you tried to serve and care about it's a young mother who felt all of this and 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 responded to it her story is found in genesis in genesis chapter 16 and you can feel free to turn there to to use uh, use your phone or whatever you'd like to find that passage. Jo- uh, Genesis is right at the very beginning. Genesis chapter sixteen. Genesis chapter sixteen. We'll be reading there in just a moment. The story is that the the kind of patriarch of, of Hebrew faith of of our faith, Abraham, has had a conversation with God, and God has made some promises to him. He had nothing in his life, no prospects, no future. His line was going to end with him. And God meets him there in that barrenness, and he makes some promises. Even in your old age, Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're going to have so many children, you can't count. And then he promises him land. There's going to be a land that your people own and live on, and it's going to be the best of the best in the world. And he begins to make these promises to Abraham. And Abraham believes in the promises. But it becomes more and more difficult as years pass by and he gets older and older. As he starts to approach 100 and his wife in her 90s, little miniature doubts start to creep in. And he does what many of us do. They start to figure out a plan to make God's promises come true. And you start to assume and think things like, well, maybe it's something I've done or not done, or maybe I should have done this. And so they look around them and they come up with a plan, a very normal plan in their time. And it's actually Sarah's plan. Sarah says, listen, I have this servant. She's a young girl. Here's what we need to do. You need to do what you need to do with her so that we can have a baby, and she'll have a baby for us, and it will be our baby, and God's promises will come true. And Abraham says, okay, not a really bright guy, but he says, okay. And we can pick up in verse 4, and it says this, and we slept with Hagar, she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So just a little side note, in in this time in ancient culture, uh, Hagar's child would have been legally considered the child of Sarah. And had she not begun to despise her mistress, everything she could have wanted would have been taken care of. Her child would have been taken care of, but a little bit of whatever that happens to be in us when we're young comes out. And she starts to kind of put it into Sarah's face that she's pregnant and Sarah couldn't be. And so Sarah says to Abraham, you're responsible for my suffering. And he bit his lip. 
because he wanted to say, I know he did. This was your idea, woman. But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He says, you're responsible. I put my slave in your arms, and now she's pregnant. She hates me. She despises me. May the Lord judge which one of us is right. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarah mistreated Hagar. You know, kind of giving her back what she was giving. And so Hagar fled. It says the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar. Now here's just something interesting. Up to this point, neither Abram nor Sarah knew her name. Maybe they knew it. They didn't use it. Throughout the story, she's just slave girl to them. And then God meets her. And God knows her name. And he doesn't call her slave girl. He doesn't call her pregnant girl. He doesn't call her. He calls her Hagar. Hagar. Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, mistress Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back and submit. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears you. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Now he will be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) Description of every young boy, I do believe. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Then this is where it gets interesting. In verse 13 says, she gave this name to the Lord. She gave God a name. Said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one. Me. And that is why the well there is called Beer Lahat Roy. I'm not very good at that. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. Now, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old, and when Hagar bore him, Ishmael. So the name she gives is El Roy. Now, if you Look, there are people who say, well, that sounds awfully southern. I think it's actually pronounced Elroy or Roy or something like that. No, it's just Elroy. Good southern name for God. Elroy, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. The God who sees me. Sometimes it's all that we look for, all that we hope for. Just someone to see us, someone to know. But her story is not an easy story. In fact, it happens again. Later, as Isaac is born, she finds herself in this same kind of competition with Sarah. Their childs grow up. And then in verse 8 of chapter 21, the story picks up again. These are really the two stories that we find of Hagar at all. In verse 8, it says this, The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah, 
She looked over and she sees Hagar, the Egyptian, that had borne Abram a son, and she was mocking him. So she said to Abram, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abram greatly because he was concerned about his son. But God said to him, don't be distressed about the boy and the woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So early the next morning, Abram took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set, her on her, and he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. So she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. You can almost imagine her there in the sand, knees clutched in her arms, rocking back and forth, weeping as the she continues to weep and move and the the sand mixes with tears and his mud and just broken and then in verse 17 God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her what's the matter Hagar do not be afraid God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. In verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Quickly today, I don't want to take a ton of time because it's Mother's Day and you have other things to do today. But I think there are a couple of things that really from this story can speak to us in those times when we feel cast off, when we feel used, when we feel like we're only ever called when somebody needs something from us, when we feel not good enough, when we come to the end of ourselves and our resources. And I think the first is... is found in this new name that Hagar gives God, Elroy, the God who sees me. God sees you. When it feels like no one else notices, no one else sees you, no one else cares, when it feels like you're going through your days in absolute anonymity, like the, like the friends you once had are gone, like the, the people who once cared about you are gone, when it feels like the work you do doesn't produce the results you hope for, when there is nothing left to hold on to, God sees you. He sees you like he saw Hagar when she was used by Sarah and Abraham and then cast aside when she did only what she was asked to do. She was, God sees you when no one else knows your name. When it feels like you float in and out of work and in and out of life and no one knows your name. When it feels like the only name that you're known for is mom. Like your identity beyond that is drifting and lost for a time. He sees you and he knows your name. 
When it, when it feels like you are, are cast off, fired, let go, pushed aside, divorced, whatever the story goes. Whenever you are the not good enough that is cast out and no one sees you anymore, God sees you. When it seems that even God's promises fail. Can you imagine as she's crying and weeping that second time in the desert? God is the one who told her, go back. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. I've got you. And now she finds herself back in the desert. No water, no food. Her son is over there that she left to die because she just couldn't watch it. Like God's promises are failing. That God's promises are not enough. That they're not coming to fruition. Everyone in the story knows that feeling. Abraham and Sarah, they were left feeling like God's promises weren't happening. In fact, the promise of land they never experienced. It wasn't until generations later that that promise was fulfilled. And Sarah sent back and now out in the desert to die. And God Caesar. God has not abandoned her. God has not forgotten her. God does not ignore her. God sees her. And sometimes maybe the most profound thing that we need to know is that God sees you and he knows your name. God sees you and he knows your name. When life hits, when it's so difficult, you don't know where to go or where to turn or what to do. When it feels like everyone has abandoned you and and, and you've got no way forward, God sees you and knows your name. God sees you and knows your name. When you're at the end of yourself, moms, you feel this more than you ever let anyone know. When you're at the end of yourself, the end of your resources, The end of when you don't have enough time, when you don't have enough money, when you don't have enough energy to be the mom you think you should be. God says, I see you and I know your name. You matter. You're enough right where you are. See, God loves us as we are, not as we think we ought to be. This idea of should and ought when it's attached to who we think we should be or ought to be, is foreign to God. He loves you as you are. He's taking you to who you could become, but never once does he look at any of us and say, you ought to be there by now. You should be there by now. He looks at us where we are. He sees us. He knows our name, and he'll take us on a journey if we'll trust him. Not only does he see us, but he hears you. He hears you. Right embedded in this story is this promise of a God who hears you in this boy Ishmael. His name is that constant reminder. Every time she called out his name for all of his life, she was saying, God hears you. God hears you. God hears you. God hears you. And maybe that's why in her most desperate moment, she's weeping and sobbing and calling out to the God who sees her, the God who hears you. He hears you in your darkest moment when it feels like your prayers are not 
moving beyond your voice. He hears you in your loneliness and in the difficulty of those moments when no one seems to really understand what you carry or what you're doing or what you're trying to do. He hears you in your desperation. He hears you in your moment of failure. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for her to set her child under that bush and to go away? The failure she must have felt in that moment. And so many times as parents, as friends, as human beings, we struggle in those moments of failure. And we think that the way that we see ourselves in those moments is the way that God sees us. We feel as much as we want to abandon ourselves in those moments, and other people will abandon us if we fail. We have a God who sees us and hears us in those moments. When she was ready to write herself off as mother and write off life, God heard her in that moment, and he came to her. He heard her in her helplessness. She had no resources, no way, no possibility of solving the problem for herself. Life and God put us in those situations more often than any of us want to admit, accept, acknowledge, or be in. There are moments in life where we are beyond our ability to handle. We don't want to admit it because as long as we don't admit it, we can keep trying to control it. We can keep trying to fix it. But there are those moments when we're as helpless as Hagar. And we don't know what to do. We have no more water, no more food, nothing left to give of ourselves into this situation. And we feel helpless to face the problems in our lives. And it's in those moments when we feel like everything and everyone has abandoned us and written us off that God hears us. You, you heard a little bit of our story in the, the video about Rethink. There was that time a year in where we were helpless. We'd done everything we knew to do. We had, we had tried everything we thought to try. We were out of time and out of energy and out of resources. And we didn't know what to do and we were helpless, calling out to God, hoping He would hear us because it felt like nobody else heard us. We're reminded in Psalm 66 verses 17 to 20. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Then when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Moms, you get this. Your child cannot possibly present to you a bad drawing, a bad piece of art. It is not possible. Neither is it possible for you to pray a bad prayer to your Father in heaven. Neither is it possible. Brennan Manning spends a lot of time talking about this kind of grace and the love that our Father has for us. And he reminds us of this truth. 
as much as our, chi- our kids cannot present to us a bad drawing or a bad dance or play poorly in any game, we cannot present a bad prayer to our Father in heaven. Call to Him. He is the God who hears us. The God who knows your name. The God who sees you. But He's not just a God who is there seeing and hearing. He interacts with Hagar and He shows her the way forward. He shows her the way forward. He opens her eyes and she sees a well. A well that was there all along. But because in her misery and her grief and her pain, she couldn't see it. In, a, in the midst of her failure, in the midst of her problem, she didn't see it. God opens her eyes and shows her the way forward. Same was for us. In our helplessness, we didn't know what to do. And we didn't see the way forward. It was there all along. Rethinking our mission, our vision, to, our idea of what we were supposed to do. This idea of of being an amazing small church versus trying to be a big church was there all along. We just didn't see it until God showed us a way forward. And he can do this in any area of our lives. He reveals things to us that are there that we don't see. Resources that are there that we don't see. Opportunities that are there that we don't see. It may not happen exactly when or how we want it. It may not happen before you call out. It may not happen as soon as your, as your canteen runs out of water. But he's a God who sees us, who hears us, and makes a way forward. Shows us a way forward. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Acknowledge him in everything we do. And he'll show us the path. He'll make the path straight. He'll direct your path. In this story, Genesis 21, 19, he opened her eyes. Very quickly, I think there are four ways that God does this. The first is with truth. The truth of scripture. The truth of reality. The truth. See, so many times we play in this world of lies. We play in this world of facades. We play in this world of who we're pretending to be. And who, we're, who we think we ought to be or should be and not who we are. And some of what has to happen to us is we have to come to this Hagar moment. When we've got no resources left. We've got no plans. We've got no ability to manipulate or control or make it turn out the way we want it to. God will let you come to that moment. So that you can see the truth. So that you can identify the truth. So you can own and live in the truth. As long as you're pretending like you don't have a past. As long as you're pretending like you've got it all together. As long as you're pretending like you can figure and solve this out. He's going to let you play in that fantasy world. What really begins to open up the way forward. One of the ways that he really guides us is in truth. No marriage gets better until you identify the truth. Of your situation. No life gets better. No health gets better. Finances don't get better. Some of the best things that, that, that advisors and counselors give us to do. Like if you were to go visit a financial counselor tomorrow. 
the first thing they would tell you to do is to go buy a little notebook from the dollar store. If you have finance problems, you got, if you're there, you're going to the dollar store. Get you a little notebook, stick it in your pocket, and write down every penny you spend for the next 30 days. That's all they'll ask you to do for the first month. So that you can see the truth. There's power in truth. It sets us free. It opens doors. It reveals things for us. And one of the ways that God guides us is in truth. One of the great resources of truth is Scripture. One of the great resources of truth is Scripture. It shows us things that we don't see. It shows us things about God and ourselves and our world. The second way that he, he begins to guide us, I believe, is with His Spirit. His Spirit in us. It says that when we come to Him, when we submit our lives, and when we begin to trust Him with our life, He puts His very Spirit in us as a guide and counselor to show us the way. That's why we ask the same three questions so often. Some of you are tired of hearing them. They show up, though, in those moments. What is God asking me to do? What is God asking me to do? Do I have the courage to do it? And how can I help? (laughs) That's our questions here. We believe that God can speak to you, that his spirit is in you as much as it is in me or anyone else. And the scripture tells us, the truth tells us that the same spirit that was in Jesus is in you. As a guide. But then the third way he does it is with the saints, the other believers along the way. The wisdom of others. The guidance of others. Because all on our own, we have this infinite ability to deceive ourselves. And we can even think we hear things from God that aren't from God. That go right back to our lives. Give me an example. There was a mom who's struggling. Single mom. Working two jobs. Doing everything she could. Provide for her kids. Come home. Work on homework with them. And, and to begin to help them to be who God created them to be. And she tells a story, tells a story to Brendan Manning of her frustration. Right? She tells this story of how she feels like God wants her to work at the soup kitchen. But with everything she's pouring into her job and her kids, she doesn't have time. And he looks at her and says, it's not God telling you to work at the soup kitchen. It's your own insecurity and fears that you need to do something to live up to his approval. And sometimes we need other people to help us see the things that are true in ourselves and even in how we think we hear God. Because we can be so driven by our insecurity and by the lies that take deep roots in us. The lies that, that our Christianity, our relationship with God is built on doing enough, being enough being who we ought to be, keeping all the rules, checking all the boxes, all those games we play. Because it's easier, right? It's easier to live by a set of rules and things that I can do than it is to live by grace that is just as true and just as free and just as loving in my deepest moment of failure as it is in my greatest success. To believe that God loves me the same in all of that. That his forgiveness is as true in every moment. If it's not true in every moment, it's true in no moment. And learning to lean into that and live by that is harder than living up to these ought to's and should to's, should be's. 
And so we need the other people around us. And lastly, we need wisdom. I think most of Scripture is designed to teach us how to acquire wisdom and what wisdom looks like. Have you ever noticed the Proverbs? How some of them contradict one another? There's one proverb that says, don't answer a fool because it'll make you a fool. And another one, actually the very next verse, that says, answer a fool so they don't stay in their foolishness. Well, what am I supposed to do, God? You're supposed to give me truth here. It says, no, no, I'm teaching you wisdom because there are some moments when you need to answer the fool and some moments when you don't. And you need to know that both of those are true. But you need wisdom to understand which one in the moment. And Scripture is about unlocking and uncovering and teaching us to live a wise life. So maybe the best question is not even what does God want me to do or what's the right thing to do, but what is the wise thing to do? Because that'll be what God's asking us to do. We need wisdom. The beauty of this is in James, he tells us, ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. At the core of this is this simple truth that God is the rock that remains stable throughout our lives and he can be trusted. When we feel like nothing, when we've been cast aside, when we're a failure, we're not enough, he is that one who continues to see and hear and guide us. A century or so ago, a ship in a storm was was dashed against the rocks near Cornwall and at the southwest corner of England, and this one 15-year-old sailor swam for safety, (laughs) and he clung onto an offshore rock. He climbed up, and he waited all night until the storm passed, and he could be rescued the next morning. A reporter interviewed him and commented, you must have been shaking all night long as you clung to that rock. The young sailor with wisdom beyond his ear said, yes, I was trembling all night with fear and cold. But the rock never trembled once. (laughs) Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He's not disappointed. He stands as your rock, able to carry you through any storm. There's one last thing I think we can learn here, too. And it's not about Hagar, it's about Ishmael. You see, as we read toward the end of that passage in Genesis chapter 21, we hear that God heard the prayer, the call, the cry of the boy. And that he was with him as he grew up and became that archer. If your mom couldn't be the mom you needed, God is with you. God is with you. God doesn't abandon you. He has not forgotten you. No matter who else does. No matter what happens. And we recognize in our world today, there are those moments and those times and those relationships where mom didn't know how to be mom. Mom couldn't be mom. We all can deal with all sorts of issues from that. But no, even in the midst of that 
depth of pain, that darkness, that uncertainty in those questions, God has not abandoned you. He sees you. He hears your cry. He knows your name. And he is with you. On this Mother's Day, I think we can all be reminded you are seen, you are heard, and he's there to guide you if you'll listen. Let's pray. Father, you are Elroy, the God who sees thee. You are the one who reminds us in Ishmael that you are the God who hears us. And you said that when we lean on you and try not to figure it all out ourselves, that you will direct our paths. And so we lean into you today. We pray for our moms. We pray for the mothers, the women in the room. God, would you remind them that they are seen and heard and that you will guide them to be the mother you created them to be, the woman that you created them to be. Would you remind all of us that in those moments of being cast off or desperate or helpless or feeling like we're the failure, that we are just as valuable to you in those moments as we are in our best moments. And that we are seen and that we are heard and that you are our guide. May we lean into you today and be reminded and live by the joy of knowing we are seen and heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Have a beautiful day. Enjoy a homemade cookie on your way out. We can't wait to worship with you again soon.